Well, brothers and sisters, we're working our way again through. This is our second week in the book of James. This evening, we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. You'll find that on page 1011 in a pew Bible if you're utilizing a pew Bible. That's page 1011, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is God's holy an inerrant word, so let us give careful attention to it as it is read. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Again, Father, we pray that you would bless us now with the ability to understand your word and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, According to an article in the Orlando Sentinel, the city hall in Okoye, Florida, was built on a foundation of muck and peat. Here in South Florida, I mean here in South Florida, here in Mississippi, in Ridgeland area, you would refer to that, that would be akin to saying Yazoo Clay. The Okoye Hall building is now sinking and has detached from the front porch by a gap of four inches. The city officials are hoping that the, the building will hit what's known as terra firma, that is hard earth or solid ground, before the building is completely destroyed. Steve Krug, the city's public works director, was quoted as saying, the original contractors tried to demuck the property and backfill the site. You guys didn't know you had that kind of stuff in play, right? But it's clear that the strategy was not a well-informed one. So now they're faced with two choices, either paying a million dollars to fix it, which would in, uh, involve 20, digging 20 feet down into the ground and stabilizing it, or just demolishing it. If only they had just built it on a strong foundation, the newspaper uh, opined. <laughs> now, since I've been here in, in Mississippi, I've heard several horror stories about Yazoo Clay Foundations issues. But what I've also come to realize is that the folks here are now much better equipped to deal with that sort of issue. So you, you should summarize, you could summarize it by saying that the folks here are now wiser when it comes to dealing with that kind of stuff. And if that's the case, one could ask the question, what if the people of Okoye had consulted with the folks in Ridgeland or Mississippi before they started building? They might have been able to avoid that because they would have been turning to that which was wise. As it relates to our passage this evening, I believe that if I could have spoken to the Apostle James, there would have been a high probability that along these same lines he might have said to me, you know, Dean, your justification, that is your being made, being made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone, through the finished work of Christ, 
is inarguably akin to the very first action that should take place in new construction that is groundbreaking and excavation. Your heart is broken and your spirit renewed through crushing. This so as you become keenly aware of your sin, or as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. See, this is foundational to your justification. The old man is excavated, and as stated in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New construction without Yazoo clay has begun, you see. However, the foundation, as I stated, is the absolute best you can have, but there is still some bad dirt. In Romans 7, the Apostle Paul refers to that dirt as the old man. And so at this point, there's both good news and news that's important for us to hear. The good news is if you are in Christ, the foundation of your justification is set. God's construction project, you, has been set on a firm foundation, one that cannot be shaken, or as Paul puts it, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that's good news that we can all use. But now as it pertains to what we need to know in addition to what we just heard is that there is another stage to this construction project and that stage of building also requires a solid foundation. And that's what the Apostle James is concerned with this evening. Our sanctification, being molded and shaped into the image of Christ, learning to think like him, to walk like him, to be like him. Our sanctification and that which is foundational to it, wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 4.7. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. That's from the New King James Version. So brothers and sisters, wisdom, which I'm defining here is the proper application of knowledge, objective knowledge as made known to man by God, is absolutely indispensable, foundational to a life that's pleasing to God. The apostle James knows this and thus wastes no time in this epistle concerning himself with communicating the indicatives of the faith but instead he immediately plunges into the imperatives to be acted upon. If you think of, for instance, Paul in Ephesians, the entire first half, first three chapters, here's what God did, here's what God did, here's what God did. But here, and then in other places, in other uh, books he, that he wrote epistles, you see the same thing. But James right here jumps right into the imperatives. Here is what you need to do. Right into the imperatives. Because see, sometimes, brothers, sometimes you need to be right into the imperatives. And he understood that. If you think of Solomon, right? When Solomon had that issue where he had two moms who were saying that one child was his, right? If he had called a scribe or a wise person in to talk to him concerning that situation, he didn't need to hear at that particular point, 
And so God delivered the people from Egypt. And then all the plagues happened. No, he needed a word from God right then. What do I do with these two? One of them at least is crazy and the other one is okay or whatever, right? What do I do right here, right now? And so in the moment, in time, we need God's wisdom to walk in the trials of life, the things that we're facing, the various things that we're facing, okay? And so again, the Apostle Paul, James rather, knows this and wastes no time giving us the indicatives, but he goes right into the imperative. He plunges us into it, <clears throat> and he also provides a warning that needs to be heeded. And so with those words in mind, I want us to look at our text under three headings. A promise to stand on, a posture to take hold of, and a pledge to be wary of. First, a promise to stand on. Look at verse 5. It reads, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Before I say anything else, I think we, we need to be reminded that the overarching context of this passage informs us uh, of the existence of trials and the, the fact that God uses our trials to bring us to spiritual maturity, to mold and shape us into the image of Christ. We live in a fallen world. Things are upside down, but we are on a journey, and God is sanctifying us in that. And it is to that end that wisdom is to us akin to an indispensable part of a motor vehicle. If it's not the engine, if wisdom is not the engine, and because that might be reserved for the Holy Spirit in us, then certainly, though, it's the battery. It's absolutely necessary to have, and who needs it? Well, the passage says, if anyone lacks wisdom, but if we, read, if we were to read the full orb of Scripture with understanding, with an understanding, and someone were to ask everyone in this room, who needs wisdom? Raise your hand, right? Every spiritually minded or informed person in this room, every single hand would go up. All of us need wisdom. All of us are prone to go astray. All of us need to hear God's word at every turn. Every, each and every single one of us needs God's wisdom badly. And so in the midst of our great need, here we find more great news. God promises to provide us with wisdom if we ask. And he's not going to be mad with us or, or ask why didn't we already have this? Or, or why didn't we do this? Or, you know, or say to me, well, you know, I'm broke today. I can't get anything for you. You know, we're not going to hear any negatives from God when, he, when we go to him and ask him for wisdom. He is going to give it to us generously, it says. He's not going to criticize us. No, he's going to act in accordance with his character and who he is to us. And who is he to us? A loving father. Listen to Jesus' own words to that end. This is Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks find. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? In that passage, Jesus says the Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask. And so question, is wisdom a good thing? Absolutely. As has already been stated, it's foundational and it's one of the best gifts a person can have after their salvation. The ability to negotiate the path that's set before them in a way that both honors God and allows us to stand in the midst of whatever trial. Before this, it talked about various different trials. And so no matter what trial come, wisdom allows us to be able to negotiate the path of that trial, to stand in the midst of that trial. And so now, there is a caveat, however, which brings us to our second heading. There is a posture to take, to hold of, to take hold of. And that posture, as you look at our text, is one of faith. Look at the beginning of verse 6. It reads, but let him ask in faith. So if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks the ability to rightly apply God's word, if anyone lacks the ability to negotiate the path of life and the trials of life, let him ask God for guidance and God will generously give it to him or to her. But let him ask in faith without doubting. Friends, faith isn't simply a belief you adopt. You know why I know that? Because the scripture tells us that even the demons believe and tremble, okay? But the last time I checked, there are no demons going to heaven or anything like that or any reconciled relationship with God. No, it's, it's akin in, in our verbiage today to an operating system for your entire life. It's having utmost confidence in God and all that he has promised. Can you say that you have utmost confidence in God and all that he's promised, that you're willing to rely on him? In Hebrews 1, the writer said, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And so let me unequivocally say the posture of faith is very important because life is all about faith. Everywhere you turn, everything you do, you're, you're either going to place your trust in God or in something else. You don't think that you're exhibiting faith right now? The reason you're sitting in the chairs you're sitting in and you're not like up like this is because you have faith that those chairs will hold you up. And when you leave here, you didn't build your car but you're going to jump right in and know that it's going to get you to point, point A to point B. You have faith in the fact that your car, that the manufacturers are going to get, that that car is going to get you from point A to point B. Now, God is the one that gave that manufacturer the ability and the gift to be able to build that car that you're placing your full confidence in. So how much more should we be able to trust the God who gave them and us the abilities that we have. Do we trust God in the same way we, look, when I sit down, I sit like this and stuff like that because I know that chair is not going anywhere. Do we trust God? Do we rest in God in that way? 
In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we hear, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here James is saying this is the posture we should take and stand firm in it. No doubting. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful. Stand firm in faith. Act like men. And I, I, I didn't look at it, but I bet you that's neuter. So act like men, women, just act, you know, strong in the Lord, if you will. Be strong, it goes on to say. Again, no doubting. For what does that lead to? What does doubting lead to? Our text tells us being like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the, to, by the wind. If you look at the rest of verse 6, that's what it says. That person, according then to verse 8, is also accounted as being a double-minded person, unstable in all his or her ways. You know, when you live in South Florida, one reality that you deal with all the time is the experience, experience of dealing with hurricanes and massive tropical storms and all of this sort of stuff. That is a reality that you deal with, but particularly Hurricane, when the hurricane season starts, like here, it's like on the, okay, we might, you know, but in Florida, it's like, it's time to get your shutters, it's time to get this, because the probability is very, very high. So you're always thinking about that, right? So now, a hurricane gets ready to come, and all the news channels, that's all they deal with in the local, all you see, right? The hurricane, they tell you where the hurricane is, where it's going, and all of this sort of stuff. And then, when the hurricane actually starts to come on shore, right, you see the, the, the newscaster out, and the wind is blowing, and the rain is, and they're out there with a microphone, and it's like, it's really bad, it's really this, right? And I'm like, wait, so two things come to my mind at that point. Now, first one is like, wait a minute. We talking about a hurricane. If it's really bad, what you doing standing there? Talking about it's really bad, it's really, right? I'm saying, how, how come nothing has hit you? A coconut tree hasn't hit you in your head or something, you know? And the second thing that you think about uh, is the fact that what crosses your mind is in, in occasions, right, there's, they're standing on the pier and behind them, you can see like the, the, the um, boats and stuff on the pier moving back and forth and hitting against each other and stuff. And then you start realizing, wait a minute, man, there is no way that if someone was in that and they needed to get from here to there, that they would be able to get to that other point. Because what they would be more concerned about is not flipping over this side or flipping over that side. There's no way they were getting to go any specific de destination in that direction in the middle of that storm, right? And that is how that person who lacks faith and trust in God is. That's the picture. That person is doing like all this kind of stuff and the winds and the waves is blowing on them and they can't do anything, right? But the person who is trusting in God, that person is waiting on the Lord. So they will mount up like an evil and go above the storm, you will. Even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of everything that's going on, the peace that passes understanding will accompany that person because of their trust 
in God. And that's why Meshach, Shednach, and Abednego could tell the king, king, you know what? We, we, are, you know, we, we are right, no matter what you do to us. I tell you what, king, we're not doing anything that you want us to do because he wanted them to go against God, right? And they said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter because God can deliver us. But if he does not, we are right, okay? We are right. And sure enough, who showed up in that fire with them? You see what I'm saying? And so God is with us. We can trust him. All things work together for good that are called according to his purpose that love him. And so nothing can happen to us outside the sovereign control of God. And so how do we do? We rely on him. We ask him for his wisdom to bear up in the midst of all things and to walk through all things. Okay? And that's the, and so now to those who refuse, however, the Holy Spirit's counsel as produced through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Apostle James here, rather, forgive me, right? There's a pledge to be wary of. Look at verse 7. It reads, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Again, we know why. He or she is being driven by the waves of the world, their flesh, and the devil. They have refused to fear God. And that's what the Bible refers to as the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says that fear of God, reverence of God, awe of God, a recognition of his power, his sovereignty, and all that he is, and therefore relying on him completely, that is where wisdom begins. And if a person is not ready to be in that space, they are not ready to ask God for anything because when the secular ideology comes their way, they're going to suck on that. And then when someone says something from God, they're going to suck on that. And if you watch the history of Israel, you'll see that's exactly what happened. They were worshiping worldly gods, and then, but they didn't put away the God who called them and who called them their own. They still did things to worship God, but they also adopted the things of the world. They were in two places doing different things, and they were not uh, single-heartedly following the Lord. And the Lord called them over and over again to repent of their weariness, and they still did not repent. And because of that, time and time again, they were placed in to bondage. So that person should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. In some cases, they are attempting to ride on the tracks of two kingdoms. Jesus said, you cannot love God and mammon. Elijah stood up and said, hey, who are you going to serve, Baal or God? You know? And then he figured out that maybe they're God when the, the fire, they were trying to make that. Remember the fire out and stuff like that from heaven? And he was like, wait a minute, is your God in the bathroom or something? What's going on? You know? And then you have Joshua, who we just finished looking at in the evening, and him standing up and declaring what? Choose you this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we are going to trust God. He used the word serve there, but it's akin to the same thing. We're going to trust God. And then what you see in Joshua, right, is you see Joshua relying on God Every step of the way. That's one of the main themes in the book of Joshua is that Joshua trusted the Lord, followed the Lord, 
And in the two instances when people did not, we saw the consequences that followed that. AI and the Gibeonite deception. Remember that? And so, trust in the Lord. If anyone lacks wisdom, and that is all of us. You know, I <laughs> recently I've been talking to a, a, a lieutenant in the military. And this lieutenant uh, was sharing with me how, you know, the basic division officer training course at the base where he is and the officer and deck um, program are merging. And this is a huge thing in the life of the Navy. The Navy, the basic division officer course has been around forever. And these things are now merging. And it's a huge, huge, big uh, deal. And so the, the trainers and the instructors that are there now are responsible and the lead person whom he is at this point is responsible for putting together the curriculum, right? So he, every time I would call him or he would call me here, where are you? At work. In the morning early, where are you? At work. You know, what you doing at home? I'm working on this, right? So he put all those hours into putting together the, the curriculum that they were going to go forward with, right? And so after he finished and he submitted it, and now it's ready to go. There's a female officer as the same rank who took the credit for everything that he did. And so he expressed to me how smoke was coming out his left ear, his right ear, his right nostril, but he, he had someplace to breathe, so he needed a left one to stay clear, right? You get what I'm saying? But now he is fired up, and his first instinct in his flesh is to go and curse her off, to go and curse out the, um, the superior officer to her, whom, who went and now is touting how this person did and so on and so forth. But instead of doing that, he said he prayed and he sought the Lord. And out of that conversation with the Lord, he said that he went and he gathered all the things that he did, all the records of what he did, when he did it, and kept record it. And he went and he showed it to his superior officer. And you know how that story ended? with him re being rewarded with a golden coin in front of the entire command for what he accomplished. That's the difference between worldly wisdom, application of worldly wisdom, and, and applying that which is pure. Listen to what it says here. This is James 3.17, but the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Are you trusting in God? Do you lack the wisdom that God is readily giving to you? Are you operating in that wisdom in your relationship, in your marriage, in your relationships at work? Are you operating in this wisdom? You know, here you see again, it says that one of the fruit is impartiality. So if you see an ideological framework that causes you to think in categories of partiality, like somebody is the oppressor and someone is the oppressed, does that sound like it's meeting up with this? You follow me? Do I have to say the syllabus of what I'm talking about? The syllables? No. You see? So we are committed to serving our Lord, to asking him for his wisdom, he has saved us to the utmost. We are standing on a firm foundation, but now we are being sanctified. And we need to rely on our Lord totally to know how to walk the path that he has set 
before us. Wisdom is required. She's calling out in the streets, as Solomon said, and we are supposed to answer that call. Amen? Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. If you look at Jesus and the walk that he took, remember, we're supposed to be molded and shaped into his image. He is the embodiment of wisdom itself. He is the word of God itself. And he lived in a wise manner his entire life. He manifested what it looks like to be wise, to rely on God, to walk in the wisdom that comes from above. And because he did that, he did not move from the left or to the right, but stayed steady in the hands of God. And because he was able to do that, he qualified to be our atonement, to be the sacrifice that we could not be on our own behalf. But guess what? Now that God has given us his wisdom, we are now called to go into the highways and byways and exercise that wisdom in the arenas, spheres of influence that we are placed in for God's glory and for his kingdom purposes. Are we equipped to do that? If you feel that you're not, guess what the text says? Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, and our Lord will give us all that we need. He's given us himself, and now he'll equally in our sanctification, give us all that we need in terms of wisdom to be guided by him and to walk in a manner that glorifies Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Our Lord was, again, the embodiment of wisdom, and you says to us, to, the, to James, that if any of us lack wisdom that we should ask you. The reality of the situation is every single one of us are desperately in need of your wisdom. Every single one of us falls short of all that you have required of us. We thank you that our Lord has walked in the wisdom that you now have asked us to walk in. We thank you that we have his, ex uh, <clears throat> his example and ask that by your spirit you would continue to grab hold of us that you would continue to mold and shape us, that you would cause us to walk in wisdom, that you would give us, grant us the spirit of wisdom, not so that we can use it in ourselves, but so that we might discern how best to glorify you, how best to serve your people, and how best to serve our own households, the people in our jobs, just all every sphere of influence that we're in. We're asking that you would just grant us wisdom so that you can be magnified in every sphere of influence where we, uh, our feet are placed. Order our steps in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.